guys, um, um, if you see a bird, it's actually a dinosaur. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good, senior writer at Wired, and I'm here with my co-host, Wired senior editor, Michael Colore. Hello, hello. I guess when I say I'm here with my co-host, I don't actually mean here, because this is the first week that uh, Wired Gadget Lab podcast is going totally remote. We're all working from home at this point, as I imagine many of our listeners are as well. And also joining us remotely is Wired science writer Matt Simon. Hi, Matt. Thanks so much for being here. Sure. Thanks for having me as always. Today we are talking about, yes, the coronavirus. It's inescapable at this point. As cases continue to climb here in the U.S., countries everywhere in the world are feeling the full force of this virus. In Italy, which went on full lockdown last week, they've had a particularly hard time. As of the time of this taping, the country has had 41,000 confirmed cases and 3,400 deaths. Matt, you wrote a story on Wired.com this week about why the coronavirus has hit Italy so hard. Tell us more. Yeah, there was a, a theory, a, a good theory up to this point, um, as around the world where you have higher populations of elderly folks, um, they are the most susceptible seemingly to this virus. Um, their, their disease uh, is the most aggressive. Um, but what these researchers did was they dug a little bit deeper into the demographics in Italy. And what they found was that uh, it is, of course, one of the more older populations in the world. They're actually second oldest behind Japan. Um, which which predisposes them to this disease. Um, but also they looked at how older folks might be interacting with younger folks. Uh, and they found that um, through census data, uh, a lot of younger folks tend to work in cities and then commute to live at home with grandparents and parents. And when they're interacting with each other in the city, they're perhaps transmitting the virus to each other. And because they're younger, might not be showing any symptoms. So when they go home, they don't think they're sick. Um, and it's at that point where they, they pass this um, highly virulent uh, disease to their elders, which is a, a kind of a devastating finding that it's, you know, this family structure that's so strong in Italy that is predisposing them to the worst of the virus. So, Matt, uh, one of the things that you mentioned in your story, and you just said it, was that um, they have the second highest population of elderly in the world. That's 23% in Italy. Um, but the country with the highest percentage of, of elderly people in Japan, that's 28% of their population, they didn't see similar sickness rates and similar death rates. Uh, why is that? What's different about the demographics in Japan? Yeah, so it might be a demographic thing where, and I haven't seen any research on this, uh, you know, where younger folks in Japan aren't necessarily uh, interacting with their elders as much as they are in Italy, but I think it would probably have more to do with the way that Japan uh, really not so much locked down the country, but had a very aggressive response um, as it spread out of China. Um, so they got they got an early uh, start on it, of course, uh, in, in severe contrast to what we have here in the United States. Um, and that's what is really worrisome about this finding is that, um, you know, we don't really know how uh, much the young folks are interacting in this country because it'll vary by city and state, uh, county. It's all over the place. Um, and in certain places like Florida, you have uh, a huge population of elderly folks as a, as a retirement haven. Um, so that could also become particularly problematic. We might see the same thing that's happening in Italy happen in Florida in, in the very near future. 
Matt, it seems there's also a one small bright spot of news out of Italy, which is that a small town in northern Italy near Venice conducted an experiment where all 3,300 people in town were tested for coronavirus and a strict quarantine was imposed on infected people and their close contacts. And this has reportedly slowed or stopped infections. What do you make of this? Yeah, that's what we should have been doing very early on here in the United States. Um, first of all, social distancing, which we are still not doing. You might have seen the news in San Francisco um, doing uh, some shelter in place and people still out running around, interacting with each other, playing basketball, that sort of thing. Um, we still are not serious about that uh, sort of isolation uh, here in the United States. And, and quarantine technically goes far beyond that. Um, as you mentioned, in Italy, it's, it's uh, uh, much more of a lockdown. Uh, quarantine specifically is isolating people that you don't necessarily know have the virus, but have been exposed to people who have the virus. Um, and the term isolation is for people you know are infected, they themselves are isolated. Um, but we know that this sort of isolation is our best chance of fighting this. Nobody's actually thinking, okay, we all go into isolation, we're going to stop the virus in its tracks. The idea is to slow the number of infections to, first of all, give hospitals some breathing room. We don't want all these patients showing up uh, en masse uh, to the hospitals in the United States. Uh, but it also gives us time to develop treatments and vaccines. So it's about flattening the curve is what it's called uh, of new cases. And Italy has shown that they have done that very well. Um, South Korea as well has uh, had their cases slow dramatically. And it's really about this self-isolation that we in America are just still really struggling to come to terms with. You mentioned earlier in the show that elderly people are highly susceptible to the coronavirus. Some other reports that have come out even more recently um, suggest that it's not just infecting elderly people, it's also infecting young people, but it seems like there could be some misunderstandings around whether the symptoms are worse in elderly people, whether it's more critical once elderly people are you know, confirmed to have it. Can you talk about that a little bit and, and sort of help clear that up? Yeah, so the early indications were, as you mentioned, that um, elderly people do seem to be suffering the worst from this disease. That's probably because um, this is uh, very much a respiratory disease. And as you get older, um, you know, you accumulate a lot of inflammation. If you are a smoker, um, that's also bad. Um, if you're predisposed to pneumonia, uh, that could be bad as well. The idea with uh, younger folks not having such bad symptoms is that their lungs are relatively pristine. They don't have the trauma that you accumulate with air pollution and things like that over your lifetime. Um, but actually in the, in the past couple of days, there has been some more reports of young folks getting very sick. Um, so we're still not entirely sure why uh, this disease affects some people more than others. It does seem to be if you have prior lung disease problems, that that could be an issue. Um, but really, young folks shouldn't be catching it as bad as they are in these kind of these new reports, if that were entirely the case. Um, you know, on that note, Matt, uh, has there been any reporting or any uh, studying done around what role pre-existing conditions play in, um, the, in the fatalities and also in the severity of the infections? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the data is still coming in uh, on so much of this. Um, uh, we're, we're just trying to get a handle on this disease in the United States. Um, but it, the, the anecdotal reports are that, yes, um, if you are 
if you had lung disease problems before, especially if you had pneumonia, um, you're more predisposed um, to this disease. Um, but we're, the, the problem is the dearth of data in the United States in particular because we just haven't been testing people uh, for the disease. And, you know, people could have been falling sick and, and presenting symptoms um, that were, we just didn't recognize as COVID-19, which is what this disease is called. Um, so we're way behind on that. And it would have been extremely helpful to be gathering that data from the very early stages, but we would have had to have had a lot of tests for that. And we still don't have nearly as many tests as we need to really fight this outbreak. Matt, before we let you go, any last pieces of advice for our listeners? For God's sake, isolate yourself as best you can. Um, just do it. It sucks. It's it's lonely, um, but people's lives at stake here. Um, you know, you need to convince your elders to isolate uh, and help them as best you can um, by bringing them supplies and, and leave them at their, their door. Um, that's where this gets really tough, right? It, it's we have to take care of ourselves and our elders that, that need our help, but we're now forced to stay away from them. It's, it's for their own good and it's for the good of humanity, really. Um, if we don't flatten this curve and, and keep new cases from popping up, our hospitals are going to get overwhelmed and then we're going to be in really, really big trouble in the United States. Thank you for that valuable advice and thank you for coming on the show this week. And thanks for having me and sorry for bringing everybody down. That's okay. You're doing your job, which is you're doing some excellent reporting. And I highly recommend that everybody go read Matt's story on Wire.com, which has been one of our most read stories this week. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to take a look at parenting during a quarantine. Adrian So is going to join us from our unofficial Portland Bureau. And you're not going to want to miss this. Welcome back. Last week on the show, we talked about how the pandemic has forced schools across the country to close. That story was focused on college campuses, but now many primary and secondary schools are closed as well, which means kids of all ages have joined their parents in self-isolation. As I'm sure many of, in fact, you're hearing one of them right now, that is Shannon, and she's joining us on the podcast this week, along with her mom, Adrian So, who happens to be a Wired senior writer dialing in from Portland. Uh, and you guys on the listening end of this show cannot see our Zoom chat right now, but Shannon has, in fact, joined us, and she's wearing a fantastic rainbow barrette in her hair. Shannon, say hi. Is this hammer? Maybe say, can you say hi to everybody? Hi! <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Adrian and Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, hi guys. <laughs> so Adrian, this week you wrote a story for Wired.com called How to Entertain Your Young Children During a Quarantine, which I think you have experience with. Um, and you also happen to be a longtime remote worker. You've worked from Portland for a while. So some of this, uh, w- these work-from-home changes are actually familiar territory for you. But how have things changed for you now that your own kids' schools have closed? How are you managing? Um, Well, my kids' schools closed last week. And so my three-year-old and my three-year-old Wesley and my five-year-old Shannon have- No, he's two-year-old Okay, he's turning turning three in June. He's technically two, but- uh, I see you have an editor there with you. Uh, he is wandering around somewhere talking to himself. Um, yeah, it has been, I thought it wasn't going to be that much of a difference because I'm used to working from home, but um, 
it's been a little a little cozy and a little chaotic here over the past uh, over the past couple days. Uh, my husband, I've been lucky enough to have a spouse who works from home, so we're we're managing. But it, we'll see what happens when uh, this goes on, because Portland schools are now closed through April twenty eighth at the time at right now. So are you doing uh, are you doing homeschooling officially now? But uh, what has been great is that there are a lot of online resources right now for parents of young kids. Like we have, uh, Shannon's been really enjoying her drawing classes, her lunch doodles with Mo Willems. Can you tell Can you tell my friends about uh, Mo Willems, baby? About your drawing classes. I want to show them my picture. You want to show them your pictures? Oh, this is great. This will be a nice challenge describing it for the podcast audience. <laughs> I look forward. No, I really, I look forward to seeing these drawings. Okay, yeah. Um, Mo Willems is the children's book writer and, all, and illustrator behind Don't Get on the Bus. And he's been conducting online lunch doodles that Shannon has really been enjoying. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a pigeon. It is fuchsia. And uh, do you want to talk about it, babe? Uh, I made it. Yeah. my art class. Yeah. She made it with her art class. And uh, there's a lot of uh, online res- online apps and resources right now for parents with young kids, which is not making it precisely easy, but it's easier. <laughs> Shannon, I see that you are, is that a marker that you have there? Is this your hair marker? This is a sparkly <laughs> hair marker. Uh, a lot of. It's turquoise. It's turquoise. Wow, that's pretty cool. Can I borrow that sometime? <laughs> <laughs> she's she's thinking about it, understandably. So I have so many questions. I mean, Shannon, how do you like being home all the time with your mom and dad and your brother? I love it. Does she say she loves it? She loves it. Yeah. She loves yeah. it. Now, Adrian, this means that for you, I mean, in some ways, and, and for many parents... You know, the walls between work and life and work again have become increasingly porous during this time. And you really are, you know, in in your case, trying to juggle work as well as the work of of teaching your kids. Um, And I'm wondering if you have specific advice that you could offer other parents who are in similar situations right now. Yeah. My first piece of advice for parents who are trying to juggle all this right now is to just relax. Like I wrote a, a list of uh, things you could do and like keeping a schedule and things other parents are doing to cope. But also um, I just wanted to let you know that if you feel the need to just turn the TV on for movies all day right now, no one will judge you. This is a totally unprecedented situation. Oh yeah, no, no judgment from this corner of the internet on doing whatever you have to do to uh, get through the next weeks. I don't think this is something that any of us anticipated having to do. And, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, and we're also really lucky. We're also really lucky that we test gear for Wired. So we have a Fire tablet and an iPod Touch, which is proving to be it's really... It's a phone phone! Yes, Shannon calls it her phone, and she's using it to FaceTime her friends right now, actually. I want, I yeah. want it to be a phone. It is a... Well, well it's a phone. And <laughs> we used it to FaceTime her best friend, Mia, yesterday. And uh, we're going to be FaceTiming Kadrin today. So that's a really nice way for 
her to keep in touch with her uh, with some of the friends from school that she's not able to see right now as we're social distancing. So Shannon and I test. A, Shannon is my testing partner. Actually, we test a lot of we test a lot of kids gear together. So she worked with me to test the Fire Kids tablets. And now we're testing an iPod Touch for kids, and it's actually the perfect size for her little hands to FaceTime all her friends right now. So it's really cool. (laughs) You know, I've heard from parents who have kids who are a little bit older that um, they're using Zoom for their classes to, like, connect with their teachers and their classmates. And also um, kids are watching TED Talks. Uh, I know something that you've been interested in is Curiosity Stream. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh my gosh, it's a fabulous, uh, purely documentary uh, streaming service. It's curiositystream.com. It's $20 for the year, and we are really enjoying every single dinosaur documentary that's ever been made. Um, We have, uh, we're seeing every episode of Walking with Dinosaurs. We're learning a lot about Microraptors and Oculo Dentavis. Can you tell them about the Oculo Dentavis baby? Uh, it, they found, it's a new, new dinosaur. Yeah, it's a new, new dinosaur. It's tinier than a hummingbird, right? Yeah. Yeah, and Shannon has drawn a bunch of life-size dinosaurs and taped them up on the walls for a dinosaur garden. So that's been really fun to look at while I'm going to the bathroom. So. <laughs> Um, Adrian, I wanted to ask you, um, so what happens at this point if school is just canceled for the remainder of the year? Um, I've seen some parents online calling for changes to grading systems, saying maybe we should be doing pass-fail, or even at the college level at this point, just give students credit for the work they've done so far. Um, how disruptive could it potentially be if school just does not resume through the end of the school year? And, and what are your thoughts on that? I think it's really hard for any of us to imagine what things are going to look like childcare wise, you know, from one week to the next. Um, Shannon's and Wes's schools are closed until the end of April. And yeah, they're saying in San Francisco that schools are probably going to be out in the fall. So it's blown our minds that it's come this far. Um, Sean and I are both lucky enough to have employers who are pretty flexible and understand that this is an evolving situation. But I think we and a lot of other parents in our situation are kind of just taking things, just taking things day by day right now. It's hard to plan that far in advance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When you talk to your kids about the situation, or up until recently, if you were around your friends' kids, how would you kind of talk about what was going on? Uh, For that piece that I did last week, I was lucky enough to talk to Dr. Victor Carrion. He's the director of pediatric anxiety at Stanford, and he gave us um, a lot of great tips on how to talk to your young children during this, you know, crisis and... Um, I think you guys can tell that Shannon is not particularly anxious right now. Um, The main thing is making sure that your really young kids know that someone is there to take care of them because they're worried about that more than they are worried about getting really sick. So that's been that's been helpful. Well, Adrian and Shannon, thank you so much for joining us for that segment. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to have some recommendations for you. And Adrian, 
I think you're going to join us for that, right? I am. All right. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. It's time for some recommendations. Adrian, what's your recommendation this week? My recommendation is Lunch Doodles with Mo Willems. The Kennedy Center is streaming 20 to 25 minute uh, doodling classes with the author of Don't Let the Pigeon Get on the Bus. And we're really enjoying those over here. Amazing. Mike, what's your recommendation? Uh, My recommendation this week is a new podcast uh, from hosts Stephen Hyden and Jordan Runtaw. It's part of the iHeartRadio network of shows. It's called Rivals, and it's all about different musical rivalries and how they played out. So last week's episode was about uh, Prince and Michael Jackson and their long-running rivalry. Uh, This week's episode is about Robbie Robertson versus Levon Helm and the breakup of the band. So it's basically just like charts the history of famous rivalries and uh, you can kind of pick and choose based on you know what your musical tastes are but uh, the hosts are really engaging and uh, the show is is really excellent rivals that's a good one my recommendation this week is the pyrex simply store 18 piece set of tupperware for 30 dollars. you can get it at walmart.com Admittedly, this was a recommendation that I found on the Wirecutter last year on their list of, you know, the best Tupperware to buy. But um, when I was moving late last year, I accidentally received two sets of this Tupperware as a gift from somebody who accidentally put two in the shopping cart online. And um, and when I received these two giant boxes of Tupperware, I thought, well, what am I possibly going to do with two 18-piece sets of Tupperware? And now that we're all working from home or quarantined at home and I'm cooking a lot more, it has really come in handy. So I am glad I have extra Tupperware right now. And I really like this. So Pyrex Simply Store. Yeah. um, You know what? I have the same set. I don't have two of them, but I have one and I have been using it a lot this last couple of weeks. It's really, uh, it's like anything you can get is good, but the the ones with the glass bottoms or the borosilicate glass, the Pyrex ones are, are the best. Yes, they're excellent. All right, that is our show for this week. Thanks, Adrian, for joining us. Thanks, Lauren. Do you want to say bye, babe? Bye, 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 bye. Bye, Shannon. Uh, and thanks to Matt Simon for joining us earlier. And thank you all for listening. We hope that you and your families are staying healthy during this time. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth, who gets extra credit this week for dealing with so many remote feeds and dogs and kids and cats and Harleys outside on the street and so many other things that he is going to be editing and sound engineering around this week. Our consulting executive producer is Alex Kappelman. Uh, Thanks again and bye for now.